Unborn, Steph. The Eurovision 2020. This goes out to them. I think I just blasted any little ears. That's awesome. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, as we proclaim for the Almighty, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and a very dear friend and special guest with us tonight in studio, the deacon, the doctor, Rick Nelson. And connected to him, Catherine Nelson. So, yes, folks. We Beautiful, take Lady too much Catherine. for granted. I become more and more aware of that at my young age of 52 and how important it is to inspire our children with an awareness that most of the blessings and benefits that we have, we did not accomplish ourselves. We did not earn them. We did not have the science, the technology, the leadership to bring them about. And often I look around my house, whether it be the architecture, or the air conditioning, or the heating, or, you know, I, I have gratitude, and I, I really thank God for the genius and the cooperation with that genius that made it happen. So, number one, just an acknowledgement of how blessed we are uh, in ways that we did not earn or deserve. And that I'm going to extend tonight to our guest, because Deacon Rick Nelson and his beautiful wife, Catherine, are very special to us. And you wouldn't know, they're behind, they're formidable influences, leaders, mentors, givers in so many ways and have been throughout their entire lives. And for Stephanie and I, who've only been here seven years, just have to name a few for us. If you did not know, you would not be hearing my voice right now if it weren't for the generosity of Deacon Rick and his wife, Catherine. They were the founders with others uh, of Annunciation Radio. And, you know, when we found ourselves in the diocese here a year later and circumstances moved us to um, avail to this nonprofit organization, and we gathered with a if you remember, Steph in the living room with some awesome yeah. leaders, brothers, and prayed. And Deacon had his checkbook. And he said, you know, this is awesome. Uh, I'm on board. This is great. But very first one, where do I write the check to? Mm. And he was the very first one six years ago to write that very first check. And honestly, what a miracle that today we yes. are here before you endeavoring to be influences in marriages and families uh, in this community, really live it fully as our mission and uh, five years plus now with Annunciation Radio. So Deacon Rick has been uh, involved with our kingdom builders. He's been involved with our banquets and helping to get those going. He's got a lot of other ministerial things that he's been very influential with. He but built our burning bush. He built the burning bush. We, we The, the line yes. is long. In yes. fact, we've been brothers in poker. We've been brothers in good scotch and cigars. <laughs> he is a renaissance guy who I absolutely love because the wide range of the beauty, the Chestertonian richness of life I share with this good brother in Christ. He's a great with stories. And, you know, he'll swing. He'll swing music-wise from Gregorian chant and classical <laughs> to uh, Styx and Led Zeppelin. He won't tell you that, but i got to tell you that. It's just awesome, and I love that about him, too. So anyways, tonight is a night of honoring. It's a night of regarding him and Catherine, who could not be with us. But we want to hear a little bit, Deacon Rick, of the story, because I've heard it before. And I think our listeners will be very touched and moved by uh, God's providence and your cooperation with that in your earliest years up to present day. And of course, folks, a little bit of a teaser. He is engaged in a mission that has uh, the Lord has led him into and will we'll lead up to that point later on in the program and uh, seek your prayers and support because I think it's a very moving outreach from the very heart of Christ in our Catholic faith. So that'll pique your interest. We'll wait to that point. So Deacon Rick, I am Welcome. I am monologuing again. <laughs> and we're gonna get we're gonna get to you now. Thanks so much for being with us tonight, Deacon Dr. Rich Rick Nelson. 
I hope I live up to this. Uh, oh, you, you oh goodness, have. that You're and so more. So glad to have you with us. I'll start with the beginning. Yeah, we usually set it up, but you you know where we're going. So yeah, let's start at the beginning. Tell us about Little Ray Nelson family. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm one of ten. Love it, right um, there. I'm number three of ten, and so sometimes when I was growing up, I was referred to as number three son, Mm. and it was a big joke. (laughs) So personal. Trinitarian. When I went to the University of Michigan, people said, oh, it's such a big place, you'd be reduced to a number. I said, I was reduced to a number in my own home. (laughs) (laughs) Just as many people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, grew up, a lot of siblings, very close. We still are very close. Detroit area? Uh, Yes, Birmingham, Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan area. And um, nine out of Ten of my siblings went to college. Eight out of the nine went to the University of Michigan. Both my folks went to the University of Michigan. Um, so you know we we're sort of sort of deep rooted there. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, growing up, um, pretty normal family with the exception of you know the size. Um, so I, I just have to note you have a blue shirt on and the yellow headphones. So you're doing Michigan Providence yes, right happening. there. <laughs> yeah, the Lord works mysterious yes, ways. Yes. <laughs> But, um, uh, you know, I look at our life as being pretty normal, but that's from the perspective of a child. Right, um, what you knew. My dad was uh, very hardworking, um, owned a construction company. My, mm-hmm. my mom was like super mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she was very intelligent, very well educated. Um, and... Uh, she was the primary source of our faith formation. Mm-hmm. I found it, uh, just a little side note, I, I found it interesting that after she died, um, we were just going through things. And I recalled going through my diaconal training that all these phrases, like how the church would articulate a particular understanding, I had learned that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Going through her stuff, found all these old copies of encyclicals mm. from the 50s, the 60s, the wow. 70s. So it was, she read them, she knew them, she conveyed them, which... Um, Swithers had nursery rhymes, Mother Goose. You were being read <laughs> Humane Vitae we, in the crib. Actually, we knew the teaching of Humane Vitae when that came out. Wow. Um, and we knew, in essence, we knew what the church taught before it was published. Um, and it was clear in our family, what the church's understanding was. Um, and I've the thing that I found most remarkable once I became a parent was how did she do that? Mm. How did how do you convey uh, the depth, the breadth of the faith right. um, and do it in a way that actually sticks? Mm. Mm-hmm. Common um, sense, just the fabric of yeah. truth and experience. Um, yeah, it, it's... Um, you know, I was thinking just um, before I, I came here this evening, I was thinking, you know, there's never, I have no memory of not having faith. Mm-hmm. What a gift. You know, Can I pause so, you a second? Because this has been a distinctive point with other guests where they grew up in an atmosphere of faith and they would describe it as they got the catechism, went to mass, but it wasn't breathed necessarily. It wasn't in the atmosphere. It wasn't something that necessarily became an intentional thing for many of them until later. But as you're speaking, I want to make it clear, because I know you well enough, that that personal embrace 
of the truth was woven into your yeah, culture. I, I, yeah, in the sense that there was never a time I didn't believe. Mm. Now, it's almost like um, I'm teaching physics right now, so I'll use an example. It's like you can live in a world with gravity and never know what it's like to not live in a world with gravity. Mm. But only once you get a little more sophisticated can you actually do the math and physics and understand it from mm. that point of view. And so much like that with faith, it's like you live it, you're, it's part of who and what you are, mm. it's part of your, the environment in which you're living. But the um, technical expertise, the intellectual formation, and, and that kind of thing comes as you're capable of understanding it. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much my experience. Um, it was, um, you know, it's just, just part of who and what you were. Um, so we're, we're talking the 50s. You were born in the 50s anyway. Late 50s, yes. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and, and so your young childhood, you would remember, would be in the 60s. So a right. lot of tumult, anti-institutionalism, a, a lot of cultural things going yeah. on. How did you, how did your parents maintain that? Did you, you I assume you went to schools outside yeah, the yeah, house, it, weren't homeschooled yeah, and no, such. No, so. I went to a public school. My two older brothers uh, went to uh, parochial school all the way. And I think that there was no room for me. Um, so I went to, but then all my other sibs younger than me went to the public schools because we had some really excellent schools. Awesome. And then we went to catechism otherwise. But really the faith formation, to be honest, was from my parents. Mm -hmm. My mother taught it. My dad enforced it. <laughs> I mean, how was it? How do they explain how for us who are listening? How, was that sort of a, uh, and I think I know the answer I'm going to say, was that like, okay, every Thursday I'm going to teach it to you? No. Or how did it no, happen? It just, Color it, it in. was absolutely, I, that's why I said, you know, when I came up, I, said, I remember specifically asking a sister who's a year younger than me, how did they do this? Mm. Because it's like, I never, it was, there was never like, sit down, we're going to do a, a formal thing with the possible exception of, doing something that was a catechism homework or something. Mm -hmm. But there was no shyness about telling us what the truth was, mm -hmm. um, whether it was a moral issue or what the truth was from, uh, I'll say, a dogmatic th theological point of view, like the Trinity or two natures of Christ or nature of the Eucharist or something like that. Um, and there's a way that you can, let's say, hear the formula let's say, when you're preparing for First Communion. And you can be right. Now, your depth of understanding is still going to be juvenile, mm -hmm. but it's there. And so the foundation is there, and it just grows from there as opposed to having a, um, a false or distorted understanding and then needing to const constantly correct it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, it was... I'm still sort of amazed, but I think that there was, like, at the dinner table, there would be, we were, we'd more likely talk about the faith than, let's say, talk about football. Mm -hmm. uh, and among my siblings right now, if, when we get together, that's almost exclusively the topic of discussion. Hmm. And we had people that played collegiate football and our football coaches. <laughs> about and that? that's still where the conversation. So the real. powerful so, pulpit of the kitchen yeah. table yeah. the dining room table yeah. there's it, nothing it, more powerful i believe as families like I, that's where it happens there's yeah. a deeper thing though though you're speaking of a soul and i know we'll get to a point 
in this story as it's unveiling your story where you had a powerful experience and for many it comes in different ways and you actually this analogy imparted this in our kitchen a couple weeks ago with some brothers talking about the nature of our relationship with god and love you can read hear study all the aspects of love but until you fall in love it doesn't come alive and it's not real. And you're describing something that your parents embodied. It wasn't just, we are going to give you an ethical structure of truth and goodness and describe that. There was an emergent encounter happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, I, we were certainly taught, if you will, um, the rules. And, um, but the rules weren't particularly. A lot of people look at them as being onerous. Mm. But it's almost like we're like, well, don't play in traffic. You know, don't mm-hmm. put your hand on the burner. Right. There's, mm-hmm. There are other rules that um, are pretty commonsensical. Yeah. And um, most of those, if you will, the rules of the faith were, were played out, I'll, I'll say, almost on that level. Um, for example, we never missed Mass. Mm. It just didn't, it, you know, you'd be more likely to stop breathing. Mm-hmm than to do that. Um, and to pray the rosary as a family? Um, one of my earliest memories was doing that, but that was uh, not very often. My mom did, but we... Mm. So you knew we about had, it. it okay, was we, the, oh, yeah, but we had, in the I water. Mean, there was a lot of motion in our family. I mean, there <laughs> kids kind of coming and going all <laughs> over the place. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, when, when we were... When there were fewer of us and we were all young, I just remember, I mean, really one of my earliest memories is praying the rosary. This is a very long, long prayer. That's <laughs> right. about three. Sure. It's like, you know, but. Um, so let me get folksy here or invite you to share a little folksiness. We've got the sense clearly that you had an atmosphere that's unique today that there was truth, your parents taught it, and they provided a culture of encounter. Your siblings spoke of this, and you're stunned now at how you just got it. And particularly in the Woodstock culture that surrounded you and was emerging, it's sort of tyranny of the subjective stuff. So before going geek uh, further, which you and I love to do, just give us a portrait of life with the Nelson bros, like any good stories that you have for us growing up, grade school, high school. Give us a portrait of what life was like. Well... Ten kids. That would have been yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, well, Sleeping with three or four in the same room? Uh, yeah. I, doing the yeah. same bed? I mean, what are we talking about? I was talking in medical here? school before I had a room myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there was um, one of the things I think that was different was that my dad was a, uh, ran a construction company, and he taught us to work. And quite literally from the time I was kindergarten, first grade, particularly on Saturdays, mm. he'd take us out on the – construction site and we worked what kind of work did you do um anything we were capable of and um and some things we weren't capable of um and we saw you became a surgeon uh, well well, you you learn to think on your feet you learn to be resourceful you also learned uh from a very early age how to put in long days Mm -hmm. and um so at the time i hated it i'll just be honest i mean i i had no interest in construction I had no interest in being on a job site. I had two older brothers that were a little bit more into it. They both went into engineering. Um, I knew that I was going to be a physician um, and from a very early age, and I hated being on the job site. That also meant you didn't get to play sports with your friends mm-hmm. uh, and all these other kinds of things. I am so thankful mm-hmm. that I was given that. Mm-hmm. Um, one, 
my dad modeled hard work, planning, discipline, and all those other things. Secondly, we saw what he was doing for the family. Right. I remember um, many, many times. Um, my bedroom was right near the stairway from downstairs going up. Many times I'd hear my dad get up, mm. walk down the hall, and go down the stairs, and I'm still in bed because mm. it was really early in the morning. I didn't have to get up yet. And the next time I would hear him, I'd be in bed again. And he goes, but I hear him coming back up the mm. stairs. And I would what know a memory. that. And um, that impacted me mm. hugely. I mean, I was provided for, I had comfort, I had you know, all those other things. And someone was getting out of bed. Mm. And I knew what his work was like because right. right. I went out and did some right. of that. So this was not sort of, you know, it was a very physically demanding job, so he was out working and, you know, sort of before the regular work day, he was in the office doing stuff, and afterwards he's back in the office. So mm-hmm. um, he taught us to work. Awesome. Um, Let me ask you a question. Pause you for a second. You are now a teacher of some wonderful young men at a prestigious, awesome high school that we all love, St. Francis de Sales. Um, do you see a marked contrast from your experience and work ethic from maybe today, the culture of today and young men today? Um, I see the kids being really good kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am, I am, they just are. I'm For sure. very proud of them. I think that they're denied the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's things that we fill up, and this is just in general, not so much talking sure. about the kids in the class. We fill up their time with lots of activities, whether it can be sports, can be, and these can be all good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost like a distraction or we're going to teach a skill set, but we're not going to teach character. Mm. And so the kinds of things where, you know, endurance, forbearance, um, the stick with itness, the um, enduring suffering, mm-hmm. going without, mm-hmm. um, um, working for to, for an end, which is years in the future. So right, right. The, uh, you know, the delayed gratification, um, the working the, for somebody else, the working yeah. for the good of the family, um, simply because you're part of the family and mm-hmm. um, it's not all about parents sort of providing everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there then becomes a dignity and a sense, I'll say a true sense of self-worth and self-esteem that's earned. Um, it's you know, right. it's not a trophy for showing mm-hmm. up. It's, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I did these things. Mm-hmm. I can do these things. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, being on the job site. My dad, you know, we had to build a concrete wall. And he said, well, how would you do this? And I told him how to do it. He goes, okay, fine, go do it. And, wow. and walked away. Wow. And for me, that was like, okay. Wow. He, you know, it's, I mean, I knew how to do it. So but validating having, but having and that, ennobling. Yeah. And so there's things like that, yeah. that, that, that sense of, um, and I'll say those are like, I'll call it the life skills. Sure. Um, you know, you can play a sport um, and, and there's lots of good things you can learn doing that. But when you become an adult, you're probably not going to, play a lot of football if you were, mm-hmm. you know, did that in high school. But 
if you worked a job and you saved your money and you planned and all those kinds of skills um, really do stay with you and continue to develop um, and, you know, transition mm-hmm. and have an expression in adult life mm-hmm. or some of those other things. Maybe you get disciplined to, character. It's built in, but not necessarily that kind of work hard sweat of your brow life. Yeah. The St. Joseph yeah. thing and Jesus, the quiet life of 30 years. Right. We forget the fact that holiness is not this thing on a shelf apart from humanity and this hardworking experience. I don't want to get too far away. We, may, we We'll certainly have you back because I know there's so many things we want to engage you in in your thoughtfulness. But let's go back to high school, if you don't right. mind, and trace for us the story, if you will, leading up to finding Lady Catherine. Okay, well... Um, uh, I went to Brother Rice High School, which is uh, all boys college prep school, very much like um, St. Francis de Sales. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's had great experience there. Um, you know, left home. I went to the University of Michigan as a freshman. Um, that was probably my. I, I was not rebellious at all, but it was more like a little bit of a freedom. <laughs> there was a little party spirit there. <laughs> and uh, You're a joy filled guy. Uh, yeah, anyways, was Scotch discovered at that point? Or uh, not yeah, quite? yeah, actually, um, okay. actually it was, uh, tend to be Canadian whiskey. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> the, the drinking age back then was 18. Okay. In, in Michigan. And so th- there was a, um, and actually it played a, played a role because um, my first year, uh, I worked my way through school. And so there was a degree of you needed to work to pay tuition, mm-hmm. to pay dorm fees and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I, I'll say I was fortunate that I was broke enough to where I couldn't afford too many places. <laughs> <laughs> the um, kept your folks. Yeah, no, no. I, that, yeah. that, that was, and no I, digital distractions yeah, as this generation Yeah, no, has. there was none of that. There, I mean, yeah. there was um, pinball was a, sort of the equivalent People had spent a lot of time doing that. Um, not me, but um, anyway, one of the things that happened during my orientation, um, so in the summer you go up for orientation for, for, for school, uh, a young lady uh, by the name of Lee Higgins um, approached me and just said, you know, introduced herself and said, uh, gee, uh, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah, and, and would you be interested in someone, you know, sort of catching up with you once you actually – come back to enroll. And um, I said yes, and, and that happened. And that was actually my introduction um, to a charismatic uh, Christian community, the, the Word of God in Ann Arbor. Um, and What does that mean? Christian community, okay. charismatic? Well, I'll get to that in a second, but, okay. well, but I want to make one point here. I am so thankful that she gave the invitation. Mm. So I'm thinking, here you have some, she's only was maybe two years older than I was. Mm-hmm. So she's maybe twenty at the time. And goes out and invites someone to something, mm-hmm. which ends up being life changing. Wow. And then not only for me, but then for all my sisters and all my younger sibs. Mm-hmm. So right. an invitation, um, and I think that, you know, sometimes the power. We allow ourselves to be intimidated mm-hmm. into, well, maybe they're not going to be interested or, gee, this guy looks a little awkward or, or whatever. Right. And so I, I, I throw that out there is because that I'm thinking, 
I'm the beneficiary of that. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, so what it was, uh, it was a large uh, community. At, at its height, there was about 2,200 people wow. in Ann Arbor uh, that were members, um, both uh, married couples and families and a lot of college students. Um, it was predominantly Catholic. Um, I'm guessing probably somewhere around 60, 70%, though I don't, I'm just pulling that number off the top of my head. Um, and it was a highly committed um, kind of thing, basically living a um, shared life. In some places, there is actually called an income and finance household, so that people actually pooled their money, hmm. much like early chapters of Acts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just. Can I pause you a second? You come from this solid background. Your morals are intact, and obviously we understand we're growing on a journey, but the fundamentals were ingrained in you. Faith was ingrained in you, a prayer life, mass, etc. What appealed to you? What took you from the sufficiency of that landscape of faith, which is in itself fundamental, to putting a toe in the water and experiencing this other world? And what was it like when you did experience it? I I, I remember at the time— I use this analogy, and um, sounds a little hokey now, but um, during that period in my life, um, I certainly was practicing, but um, as far as the faith being energized and alive, it wasn't to the degree that I desired it to be. And the way I would articulate that was, I remember saying, Noah had it easy. Hmm. You're like, well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Right. I said, at least he knew exactly what God wanted him to do. Mm. And I didn't. Mm. Now, I knew that I was going to be a physician. Um, but it's really hard to know what to do, what decisions to make, where to go, blah, 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 those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, in the absence of that kind of thing. And, and, um, and so one of the things that happened was um, there was a Life in the Spirit seminars. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, today's the what, 29th? Mm-hmm. 28th. 28th. So this was in January 23rd, 1976. Okay. It was what we call the fifth week of seminars. And it was prayed with, uh, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that was life-changing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to back up a little bit because... Um, I'll tell a little, little bit of the story. Please do. This, this is, I'm a little embarrassed by this part, but, you know. This is good. Bring it on. You're going to get ratings. Here's, here's the warts. Don't pull punches. Let's <laughs> okay. do it. Well, I had mentioned that uh, I had discovered Canadian whiskey. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> on the Monday before that Thursday, that was a Thursday night, um, I had gotten sick in the, in the, at the end of the first semester. Of my first year, I had mono, so I lost a lot of weight. Um, mm. Okay, I was, nothing to do with the Canadian whiskey. No, 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 no. This, this was my, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I went down to 129 pounds. Wow. So I'm the same height. So it's like, take me less 100 pounds. Um, so that was I, I was really quite sick for a while, but I got through finals, got through uh, Christmas break, but came back and um, sort of had recovered by that third week in. January, so it was probably a solid six weeks, seven weeks of being mm. sick. 
And a bunch of guys went out to a bar, and I was stupid enough to say, I can drink more than you can pay for. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the thing is, I didn't have the money. <laughs> yeah, sure, right. So I had Make to. Make up for the prior uh, year of so, uh, not having yeah, such. Well, anyway, I, you know, I drank way too much. Okay. And um, later that night, I, I, I just realized that that was fundamentally stupid. Life in the spirits oh, of a different sort oh, that you didn't was, anticipate. It was, it was, it was bad. And I remember it was. Freezing. You rested in the spirit, I bet. Oh, it no, I. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm sorry. No, bad, bad. No, it was. I, I remember leaving the bar and and trying to walk back to the dorms, and it was like freezing cold. This, mm. you know, right, January. Right? And I remember being out there. It's like I don't know, two, three o'clock in the morning, freezing. I'm going. I don't know how to get home. Mm. This is how people die. Right. This was really <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, uh, and then the next thing was, is that, okay, four days later, I'm going to be praying, you know, that the, the, the God bless me with his mm-hmm. gifts. Of the, and I'm thinking, I blew it. Mm-hmm. I blew it. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I did something that was objectively wrong. I knew it was mm-hmm. wrong. I, and, and, and there was some... Very heavy um, soul searching. How repentance. awesome, though! And um, and experienced, you know, great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that night. Before and, going, well, no, 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 that night. Thursday. So you know, Thursday, okay. on that Thursday night. Yep. But those few days beforehand, it was like, a, should I even bother going? Mm, kind right. of thing. Should I even? Oh, the enemy works on you, right? Yeah, you're tainted. Like, you're well, dirty. Yeah, I, you don't belong yeah, in a place like this, right? So, um. Fifth week of seminars was um, a huge change, and um, and I remember that. So I'm going to pause you. This was not a weekend retreat, as some experienced life in the spirit. This was consecutive weeks. Yes, we uh, gotcha. Thank right. you. So we had there were four weeks leading up to it. Okay. Uh, and the fifth week is when you get prayed with. So okay. we had started this before I'm with Christmas you now. break. So January 23rd is the Thursday, the, big, the, big, Thursday, the big, Thursday. big Thursday. By the way, that may have been the date that your mom... It was the day after. The day after mm-hmm. your mom died. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I digress. Go ahead. Same so, year. So um, that was... Um, that was an extraordinary event for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember... Why? Well... I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, in my heart, in my intellect, in my person. Um, the, the, um, not that I had the Noah experience of go, you know, being clear about, um, you know, what to do, but it was clear that God was going to work in in me mm-hmm. and through me, mm-hmm. and it, I wasn't going to be sort of. Um, just, I'll say, trying to be faithful on my own, trying to, you know, keep from doing something really wrong or bad. But no, this was the the, the faith uh, became dynamic, mm. um, if you will. If you want to say that uh, um, sin is makes you unhealthy, well, you can be, I'll say, healthy in the sense of not having, you can be physically healthy, but not be in good shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not be strong, and not be fast, and not be whatever. So now, you're going from the okay. Well, I I was always worried about, let's say, not being healthy. Well, now, it's like, man, you've got 
Game on. Di- yeah, game on. You got this dynamism going on. One of the things that happened, I'm a fairly, as you know, I'm a fairly analytic guy. And uh, I mean, I went, I debated through high school. I went mm-hmm. to nationals. I did all that. And I remember going home that night. And I said, before I go to bed tonight, I need to determine whether what just happened mm. was real mm. or was this some sort of emotional mm-hmm. kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Is this a psychological awesome. trick? Is, also, and it was really, it was a um, sort of standing before, in a certain sense, in prayer, like standing mm-hmm. before God and saying, because if this was just an emotional thing, well, within a few days, I'll be back where I was before, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like every other kind of emotional. Nice spiritual roller coaster, right? right? Yep. But if this is real, if I'm going to say, in essence, profess, proclaim, live, that something different, if I say that, then that's really a game changer mm-hmm. because you can't ignore it then. Right. It, it's like this really, and I remember thinking, okay, I believe that this is true, and sort of as a result, everything is different. That's beautiful. And I would say for you know, a couple of weeks, prayer was really easy, and then it became hard for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That is beautiful, and I, I want to dig deeper into that, and if not now, other times, because I think this is where the church is at. In your experience, those who are listening, many are in that moment of having experienced and being good, faithful Catholics. We want to do good. We're faithful to the Mass, to the Rosary, to adoration, these wonderful things, and we're doing the best we can to form our homes. And the grace is there in the sacrament, has been poured out in the sacraments, and as often as this experience has been described, it's stirring up that grace and learning to live in it, right? It's, it's learning mm-hmm. to live in that vitality of it. And there is something distinct. There's something very yep. distinct about it that distinguishes it from, if you will, not having had that experience. And in some senses, I, I want your mm-hmm. thoughts on this, but I think for many it's more of the via negativa. It's described more in terms of maybe what it isn't. Uh, that you can look back, you know, well, you, you thought you were just fine a week earlier, three weeks earlier, maybe maybe yearning, but we're going to be hungry until we meet our maker in eternity. So there's always going to be a longing because we're pilgrims and we're passing through this world and our souls are destined for this intimacy with God, which will not be fully possible to eternity. But I, I'll just ask you the question, how do you explain to somebody uh, this value of, uh, is what has often been described, a baptism in the Holy Spirit, a stirring up of the grace uh, and its importance? I, well, um it is. There's lots of analogies I could throw here, and so I'll throw some out. Please do. Um, one is um, there's a type of surrender that mm. takes place, mm. um, and it is instead of me trying to be faithful or or me following the rules or me doing the observances, and it's good to be faithful in all those things. Mm-hmm. This is more like um, the seed was already planted and the soil was always there. That's you. Mm -hmm. But now you finally let it get watered and allowed it to grow. Mm. Now, the growth uh, is is both exciting but also demanding. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a a way that... um, 
it takes a certain kind of surrender to um, allow God to work in you in that manner. And you always have the freedom to say no. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 happens or when people get a little scared of things or or it's sort of like they start questioning whether it was real or mm-hmm. questioning how mm-hmm. deep was it. And the thing is, is God doesn't play with us. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and God, when God gives gifts, he doesn't take them back. Um, we can abandon them. Mm-hmm. We can forget them. We can abuse them. Mm-hmm. But he's not an Indian giver, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's there. It's a matter of, are you really going to let him have his way with you? And as exciting as that is, it's also, once you get beyond that initial thing, it can get a little scary. And I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, in, let's say, the courtship process are like that. Okay, it's really neat to find someone new and you know, you're dating and whatever. And then you get to that point where, am I going to ask them to marry me? Because mm-hmm. now it gets real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then if you do, well, now it's a game changer and there's lots of beautiful things happening. But that doesn't mean it's not without struggles or disappointments or frustrations right. or, or all those other things. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's that kind of encounter mm-hmm. of, um, uh, you know, I think all that other prep that mm-hmm. growing up, mm-hmm. um, you know, put me in a position where I could both say yes, mm-hmm. as well as once it happened, um, was in a position to um, mm-hmm. allow, ready. allow the Lord to continue to work that way. Yeah. So the elephant in the room, just while we have you from many listening and who've heard perhaps of this experience, and it's been associated with this word charismatic, which, by the way, is well established in our Catholic teaching and tradition and orthodoxy. But the word may evoke emotionalism in people's minds. It may evoke a preoccupation with these extraordinary gifts speaking in weird languages and maybe even elitism, uh, just different things that that many maybe have conceptions about. And let's just acknowledge all of that because we're human (laughs) and because people are human has happened, but it's also happened, has it not, in in forms outside of that. But let's just make it clear, we're not talking about a personality type or uh, something that you're just inclined to and that's for him or not for me. If I could just punctuate this, disagree if you want, I think you'll agree with this, is as Catholics, it's about being open to all God desires for us, whether we understand it, whether it makes sense, whether we want to, it's Lord, I am yours. I want to be fully available to you in the fullness of the Catholic Church. I want to be faithful to what Christ has revealed and I want to experience this. And that was your experience in general in a Catholic context. Yeah, and the thing, what the Church provides is the wisdom and the guidelines to keep you from going off the rails or doing whatever. So um, the the church provides all that's the the the, the environment and all the necessary protections mm-hmm. as well as the necessary means. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think really happens here is is an invitation to surrender. Mm-hmm. Much like I was invited to something, it's like okay. Are you ready? And it's like, are you, um, are you willing to take that step? Wow. Much like, I, I, are you willing to ask this person to marry you? Are you willing to do what? And then, 
if the answer, you know, you know, if you say yes, well, then it has real implications, mm-hmm. and they're life changing implications. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for a lot of folks, if if we live now in a society that is, I'll say, commitment weary, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. people are afraid of limiting their options. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about it, well. <laughs> Um, we are going to choose something, mm-hmm. either uh, um, through discernment and volitionally or by default. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're going to live a life, and it's going to— As long as it, we have air in our lungs, you're going to be doing something. something. And the, the, the question is, is well, um, what's the best thing to do? And mm-hmm. for a lot of folks, um, there's a— the, Defaults, right? Well, their defaults or the best thing is what they perceive as good for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, if you actually believe that God knows and loves you more and better than you know and love yourself, and mm-hmm. what he wants to mm-hmm. give you so good. is more and better than you can possibly imagine, mm-hmm. but you got to let go of what you got That's awesome. in order to get what is, what's being offered, and um, and I think for a lot of people that's scary, mm-hmm. and um, and and nowhere in this do I want to make it sound like it's easy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and there's new steps for you and I in a horizon and, that we've barely stepped and, into. Yeah. So we're 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 relatively it, spe- uh, facing at any given moment a new horizon of God inviting us to take even further steps away. A- absolutely, and it's. It's always a call to faithfulness, mm-hmm. and it's always a call to surrender. This is all so good and needs to be unpacked, but I want to get back to the story. And so this is awesome, a significant moment in your life. By the way, folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. Very blessed to have Deacon Dr. Rick Nelson with us, sharing with us his journey. He's been very significant to many organizations, certainly ours, Annunciation Radio, and he's sharing his journey. Uh, awesome Catholic family background, one of ten, the third of ten, worked his butt off, learned from his dad, <laughs> Uh, the work ethic, um, and describing his experience for us of that something more and the surrender is a key factor. And you're hearing some of the uh, maybe articulation of what of God, a loving God who wants to invite us ever more into deeper encounter, deeper intimacy with him. And that's scary. He's acknowledging that. We acknowledge that. There's a fear factor without which it wouldn't require faith. Just think of that. All right, so to the story, take us from there up to uh, okay. meeting Catherine and um, marriage yeah, and that sort of thing. Basically, uh did my undergraduate work, uh, um, worked my way through, worked in the summers, um, was part of the community. Community commitment was substantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did a, a lot of prayer meetings, a lot of service, um, things like that. So there were a lot of hours mm-hmm. that were committed. Peter Herbeck, was he uh, yeah, shoulder uh, yeah. to shoulder in that yes, community also? Yes, yeah, yeah, he's a little bit younger. Yes, he's a little bit younger than I am. So, okay. Um, but uh, um, anyway, uh, went through undergrad, um, went through medical school, um, and we had had a dear friend. um, There was a certain group of uh, folks that sort of hung out together, and I knew that Catherine existed um, (laughs) um, probably, I don't know, maybe a a year or two before I ever met her. I met her sister um, before I met her. Um, Anyway, um, 
is one of those things, well, gee, you, you know, you should meet her, blah, blah, blah. Um, we met on Pentecost Sunday. Of course you in did. In church. <laughs> what year? Uh, 81. Okay. Wow. Nice. Okay. And, uh, um, I, at that time, was not dating anyone. Um, part of that was I had, um, was not going to, uh, basically was um, not going to date until I was serious about uh, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. married. And I wasn't going to get married until I was out of medical school. And so, um, you know, I, so there was this group of friends. And actually, Catherine at the, early on was seeing uh, another fellow. <laughs> um, but anyway. The plot tickets. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I could tell some stories here. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> um, we'll but, get her to yeah, want to yeah, be yeah, on the yeah, radio. Yeah, yeah. She's going to be calling in any moment with some correctives, <laughs> no, which no, is great. Yeah. But anyway, so um, uh, what ended up happening is everybody knew that I was not dating. I mean, all my friends knew that. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, large numbers of us weren't um, going to school or whatever. It's sort of like you didn't do that until you were uh, prepared to, uh, I'll say, do it in earnest and uh, be intentional in what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a lot of um, a lot of friends, a lot of mutual friends. And um, actually, the first time I asked her out was at a going away party for this common f- mutual mm-hmm. friend of ours, a dear friend, now deceased, um, who was leaving the area to go to Canada to, to enter the seminary, who was eventually ordained a Byzantine Catholic priest. Mm. And um, so we were all at this party, and I walked her out to the car, and I said, you know, would you like to go out? She does this <laughs> look at me like, like, on a, like a date. So this is yeah. not an organic thing. Like <laughs> not, she didn't expect it at oh, all. Oh, no, this is sort of like, and she's like, and she looks like a, like a date date. And I said, yeah, like a date date. <laughs> <laughs> Can you picture her saying that? It's sweet. Yes. Love it. Well, it had implications. Sure. sure. In that community because and, and, and you like, understood what it meant. You, you under, it wasn't capricious. It, and um, she may call him with a corrective, but I, I remember saying that she didn't sleep very well for the next couple of days. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but anyway, so okay. we actually had, uh, I mean, but we knew each other very well, yeah. and we knew each other as friends. The benefits which of is, community. Was which, she in the community yeah, also? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. She was actually in there before I was. So, I, so I, If I could just make a quick note as you're describing this for our listeners' sake, there is a richness in the community that Rick is speaking of here, of formation, of relationship, of encounter led by mentors, with sacraments, with a prayer, with all of that sort of thing that we all yearn for. Maybe we just get a rough taste of a parish is meant to be that, but you, and you, it was your parish yeah, also yeah, yeah. in a unique instance, if folks, yep. you know, Word of God yeah. um, uh, community up there. Yeah. But anyway, just for people to know, you were blessed with having your compasses, your vision calibrated for the most God desired of you. Right, to and, and so um, actually, we had a a very short courtship. Um, you know, we went out. I think our first date was like mid September, mm. and we were engaged by December sixth. Mm-hmm. Awesome, love so, it. So, was uh, it smooth sailing? Pretty much from that point uh, up um, to was she was in school. Was she in grad no, no, school? she was. She had already graduated. Okay. She was working, and you're and, in and medical I'm, school, and I was in medical school. Okay. Um, and <laughs> Sort of a funny story that way. Um, medical schools takes up a lot of time, mm-hmm. and so there really was no time to date. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I going into my senior year, I said I wanted, you know, it's going to get. There's an opportunity to get married coming out of medical school, but before residency. 
I thought, well, I got to be strategic about this. <laughs> so I put uh, two research rotations and another elective. So I had a three-month block where I wasn't on call. Nice. <laughs> that is so good. And that was my, that that was so my window. <laughs> That's great. But anyways, no, we, um, like I said, we had, and then we ended up getting, uh, you know, engaged. And then we were um, married in May. And um, so I technically graduated on uh, May 27th, and I got married on May 28th. I did wow. not get uh, married. You in kept your word. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then I started my internship, and for Catherine, it was sort of like I fell off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think, it was. I mean, it was hard for me. It was difficult for her as well because sure. the the hours were just ridiculous. So here you have a newlywed. Uh, we moved into an apartment where I'd be a little bit closer to uh, work, but still sort of halfway between Ann Arbor and Detroit. I was doing my residency in Detroit. And so for her, that ended up sort of isolating her mm. a good bit. So um, she endured my uh, internship and residency. Um, and, and that wasn't easy. Um, so, God bless Catherine. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you in a moment to life sketch us up to present day because I do want to get to, as promised, your current uh, prayerful undertaking. Um, before we do that, just punctuate for us how many years you've been married and what are the one, two, or three most significant bits of advice you'd give to anybody right now to who are already married or seeking to get married to really have a successful marriage? So how long have you been married? Uh, this may will be 37 years. Okay, awesome. beautiful. And a daughter and a son-in-law. Yep. Uh, daughter that's been married for about three years. They're out in okay. California right now. Beautiful. And um, one of the things, um, it, it, these two are linked, you must have, um, you got to have a firm foundation in faith, and you have to have the same vision for what mm-hmm. marriage is. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily that you've got all the things that you're going to do or want to do and all that stuff worked out because God can throw curveballs. It does. <laughs> uh, Not only can he. <laughs> but you need to really you you need to really understand um, uh, what it is you're committing to. And having said that, be very careful, discern who it is you're going to make that commitment mm-hmm. to. Um, um, you know, there's, I think, it's very easy to be um, excited and emotionally attached and all these other things, but mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, go in with your eyes open mm-hmm. um, and um, really think about it. And with that, discern it. Mm-hmm. Take it before the Lord. Um, pray about it. Um, I mean, if there's anything you're going to pray about, as far as a big life decision. That's the one to do. <laughs> yeah. We say to our kids, the three attractions aren't enough. Spiritual attraction, personality attraction, and physical attraction. You may have all of that, but you're speaking to that additional quality of has God appointed it? Yeah. And attunement. Does, has God brought you together? Because what he calls to together mm-hmm. will not be broke, torn asunder, mm-hmm. if they stay close to the heart of Christ, which you exhibit and give great witness to. Shout out to Catherine and the two of you. But anyways. No, and I, and I think that that's... Um, you know, if you really understand what marriage is and how your your um, future, in fact, your destiny, and I will say even your eternal destiny, mm-hmm. is linked mm-hmm. with this yes. other person, yeah. um, then 
discern it soberly. Mm-hmm. Now, all those other things are great too. Yeah. But but they're, that's the foundation. Right. That's the infrastructure. But, yeah, but, yeah. But do that. Yeah. Um, and then the the the. Um, And I, I'll just say for guys, I mean, I, this is just. Um, Bring it. Pray that you die before you dishonor your marriage. Mm, that's an awesome prayer. Just and 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 and, and, and I mean, I mean it. It, absolutely mean it. So I would rather die. Mm. And you pray that every day. Um. That. You know, and and so you don't. You don't go close to stuff. It's a heroic prayer, yeah, it, and God it, floods it, it with it, grace. Yeah, and it's like the, you've already chosen, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And part of a duty of a spouse is to assist the other to get to heaven. Mm. Now, I will say Catherine does a much better job at that than <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh. um, but, um, but that's really— um, It's awesome. I'm going to push you now, looking at the yeah. time, because we're going to be coming in for a landing real quick. We have five minutes. Um, sketch up to present day and introduce us to your new undertaking. Um, well, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a physician. I practiced uh, head and neck surgical oncology um, primarily. I was an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, I retired a year ago. Um, and the reason for the retirement was to free me up to do some other things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, plans don't always work the way you think they're going mm-hmm. to, but that's fine. Um, life is a lot like that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I'm particularly uh, interested in doing is trying to establish um, a ministry to assist men who have had a substantial faith commitment uh, while in prison, coming out and reintegrating into society. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of guys um, who've you know, committed some very serious crimes mm-hmm. who have had remarkable conversion experiences. Mm. And it is um, some of the most moving that you'll ever hear. I mean, mm-hmm. sort of like maybe because of how far you've fallen, how f- great the redemption yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, these guys love the Lord. And the problem is, is when they come out, um, uh, opportunity is really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many of them have spent long times in prison, so they have no work record. They don't have skill set. A lot of times there's educational problems. Very frequently there's substance abuse uh, in their backgrounds. Um, they've obviously got a criminal record. They have mm-hmm. all these other things. And, and they come out, and a lot of all of the natural sort of resources that you have, friends, family, finances, mm-hmm. uh, material goods, and things like that, they have nothing no support network. Nothing, and um, and so um, one of my goals was in, in remains, um, and working at it, uh, is try to establish a um, a place for them to come to live, to grow, um, basically a an environment where they are surrounded by. Uh, other people that have had uh, similar commitments, they're willing to continue in their personal formation, uh, have assistance with um, getting those other areas, mm-hmm, whether it's mm-hmm. completing education, vocational training, whatever, helping them with employment, and basically um, providing them a, an environment for Christian formation as the framework in which you prepare 
a man to reenter society mm-hmm. uh, as a fully developed individual. And Rick, what, what's the name of this nonprofit? I believe you did yeah, establish yeah. the number. So, what's the name of it? And See, just I want to make sure we get this out also. And where could people contact you with interest in supporting in whatever way, financially, resources, whatever? What's well, St. Dismas uh, okay. Ministry? And for those who don't know who St. Dismas is, St. Dismas was the good thief mm. and is the Lord. model of repentance. Mm. Um, and so, um, that's that's the ministry, um, and right now we're working on trying to establish a physical okay. building mm-hmm. for these guys to move into. We've run into some obstacles that way, but um, I'm folks. Know. If you're interested, send an email to me, Greg at massimpact.us, and I'll make sure it gets to Deacon Dr. Rick, greg at massimpact.us. So you're looking to establish a building. There is a bit of a a prototype model in Michigan that you're working with, and the diocese is attuned to this. Yeah, the the bishop has been very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Bishop Thomas. Yes, um, it's... uh, There are just some obstacles out there that uh, need to get worked through, and... uh, trying to find the the best, shortest, uh, least difficult way of getting from where we are to where we need to be. Folks, so blessed that you tune in with us tonight, Ignite Radio Live with Greg Stephanie and Deacon Dr. Rick Nelson and his wife, Catherine. So blessed to have this area of Toledo that we're called to make holy. And so we do pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, you fashioned us to be tabernacles for your indwelling spirit. Help us to hold nothing back, to get rid of all obstacles, to receive that flood of supernatural grace, streams of living water into our lives and around all of those around us to claim this place for your kingdom. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.